guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks, guys. Now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Hi friends, welcome back to the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa, episode 23. I'm CJ. I'm Melissa. And my microphone might be farting, so <laughs> let's keep our fingers crossed for a, for a fart-free episode. <laughs> Hashtag professional. Super professional. <laughs> um, so what's up? Not well. I had today was actually a really exciting day for me in one particular way. I became a plant mom for the first time in my life. I've literally never owned a plant. How is that possible? I don't know. I think it's just because I moved around so much. I don't know. I don't have have an excuse. 12 plants in my front yard. I know. I have no excuse, but I was like, God, I need to get some green in my house. And so I went and I walked to the nursery and I got two plants. I'm really excited about it and extremely connected to my plants. Really, what kind of plants? One of them is a zebra plant. Is it a succulent? Um, it's not a succulent, but it's got waxy leaves, like many indoor plants seem to have. And then another one that I don't remember the name of because it's just scientific. It's dumb cane is the is the nickname for it. Interesting. Yeah, but I, it's like a it's like diaphragm or something. I don't know, but that was exciting for me. That's a big deal. Did you name your plants? I haven't yet. I need to spend more time with them, and then I and then I will intuit what their plant names should be. You need to feel out their personality types first. Yeah, I've also never had my own pet. Like I've had pet. Like my family had pets growing up when I was growing up and stuff like that. And I've had roommates with pets. I feel like I'm training for a pet. Like we start with a plant, then a cat, then a dog, then an elephant. I was just saying this literally like last night at dinner. I was like, you know what? I've been thinking lately that I need to get a pet, but not like a pet that I really have to take care of. Like a pet that sits in a cage and like doesn't really want anything to do with me anyway. Mm -hmm. And like just something for me to like walk into the house and be like, oh, hey, pet. Like, how was your day today? And like have another like living being to communicate to. Yes. So, like, I couldn't be a cat or a dog because, like, that thing would die when I'm gone 15 hours a day. But, like, you know, like, things like a lizard or, like... A chia pet. Usually, like, (laughs) reptiles, chia pets, fish. Like, something that breathes but, like, isn't relying on me, you know? Totally. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) What about lizards? Like, lizards might be good. They're stuff above fish. I used to have frogs when I was a kid, and I really liked frogs. Okay. Oh my God, is that train? Yeah, you hear that? Yeah, I heard it. Yeah, I live right by. There's railroad tracks right off the Mississippi River. And oh you can wow! Hear it sometimes. I really like the sound. Uh, sorry, I love the sound of trains though. They make me super nostalgic. I don't know why. Yeah, that's a really good train sound. What's not a good train sound is the uh, N-line Judah. That blasted across my front doorsteps for three years straight, starting at 5.45 in the morning. Uh, that wasn't the, cool. What was the sound, Melissa? Imitate well, it, it. Would, it would go like 100 miles downhill, down Judah, and like you could feel it before you heard it. Like So it would mm. just like create an earthquake every 15 minutes. Oh, and then it would always blast its horn right as it passed my house, because the next stop was 40th, and I lived on 38th. And so at 38, it start blasting the horn, and it was just fucking loud. It wasn't a train track horn like that. It was just like a like a fog horn almost. <laughs> Word. But don't you remember when I lived in that apartment yeah. up on the third story and the Bayview windows? You, uh, that was kind of where I also would always fry egg Emily from my 
third story Bayview window, and while she was on the end line looking back up, I'd be titty flashing her. What is a baby window? Bayview window. Oh, Bayview. I thought you said baby. I was like, oh no, Bayview. Yeah, you did. Looked out on the ocean. The ocean. But that horrible train that I had to listen to for three years straight. (laughs) Ah, May it rest in peace. Just kidding. It's still going. I don't know why I said that like it's dead. Uh, All right. Do we have a wine review? I'll go because I'm not – I just am not drinking. So Tuesday I got totally hammered. Tuesday was Mardi Gras. I don't know why I'm not talking about that. Um, probably because I can't talk about half the stuff I did. But it was Mardi Gras. Great time. You know, had a – went and got drunk. So I'm, I'm good for the week as always. I know. I, I know. I only drank half the show, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, coffee. Of course I'm stoned. And then I have recently – Started using CBD oil because I'm all about these fucking oils that you can get over the counter. Last yeah. week I was talking about kava oil and I just started using CBD oil in a similar way. Have you ever done that? No. It's also like a good, very mellow anti-anxiety thing. Really? So, and it, yeah, and it helps me focus a little bit too. So it's like not cheap though. It was more expensive than I thought it would be. Like for one little vial of oil? For, like, a vial of oil that supposedly should take me, like, a month to get through, if I were to use it every single day, it was, like, 70 bucks, which I was not expecting. That's, like, like, insane. Yeah, but it was one of those moments where he's, like, okay, like, rang me up, and I, like, had such a confident conversation with him about what I was looking for, that I was, like, oh, I can't back down now. Like, I have to buy this fucking bottle of CBD oil. (laughs) Maybe it's because I'm in the bougie part of town. I don't know. Well, that's strange. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it costs that much. I was, like, just at a dispensary, like, last week. Yeah. I have CBD oil, and it's definitely not that much money. Yeah, I feel like that was just insane. But it's okay. I liked it, and it tastes really good. So. It tasted good? Yeah, I got, it was, like, ginger lemon flavored. Speaking of ganja. There you go. Okay. The future. This is what I got at the dispensary. And this actually was happening during my month of really horrendous luck. And for whatever reason, I went to the dispensary and they just, like, gave me this for free. So I guess, like, there has been a couple ups during my month of, like, mayhem. There we go. Okay. But, yeah, they gave me this little vape pen for free. And I think they're normally, like, 40 bucks or something. Yeah, they're not cheap. That's nice. But I like it because it has at the bottom this little thing that, like, when I inhale, it becomes, like, a flashlight. Uh-huh. But it's a circular flashlight. So, like, when I'm in the pitch black in my apartment and I smoke it, like, a big, giant, like, Saturn ring shows up on the, like, on the wall. Uh-huh. And it just nice. makes me feel like I'm, like, in space. And I really like it. <laughs> Whoa, dude. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Chippy. I've been smoking out of a bubbler now recently trying to make my throat a little less scratchy for the fans for the fans and when I, went to go, <laughs> when I went to go buy one I went to the shop right by my therapy office which is near Tulane so it's like all these college kids and I went in and everybody who was working at that shop was like 20 years old and I felt so weird like adult as fuck like hey kids let me buy a bubbler off you like oh my god that's amazing I know I know we don't have dispensaries here yet Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I know. Come on, everyone. Catch up. Like, what the hell? It's 2019. Well, I'm not drinking alcohol either, but I'm not drinking alcohol tonight because I literally just crushed so much Taco Bell in the car before I got home. Nice. And I can't put any more empty calories in my body for one day. Fuck yeah, dude. Uh, (laughs) I loved the Chalupas. Oh, fuck yeah. That was Those are the shit. And then I always get it with like the 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 melted cheese on top, like the nacho cheese. Mm. Yeah. Ooh, gosh, so healthy. Okay, so I have like a pretty hardcore story to tell today. Okay. At first, I was like, "This is some heavy fucking shit," but I realized it's not heavy shit. It's just like real fucking shit. Like this is real shit that's happening, like now. Okay. And, like, it's heavy because it's not our life, but, it, like, it is the lives of, 
lots of people in the world right now. And, like, I don't know. It, it, sometimes you forget. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'll just get into it. Let's do it. So you won't know her. Uh, I don't think. Maybe you do. I don't know. I, I'd say most people don't know her. Um, and I hope that I'm saying her name correctly, which, let's be real, I'm probably not. But I'll do the best to pronounce it the way I think it's pronounced. So I'm covering today a girl that's named Yusra Mardini. And she's a professional Syrian swimmer who saved 20 lives while fleeing Syria by boat. Sorry, not Syria. She was fleeing Turkey by boat. And who later competed at the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio as part of the first ever refugee Olympic team. Cool. Super cool. Have not heard of her. Excited. Um, Which she's very, like, so she's very in the now. Like, her story starts only in 2015, so she's, like, very relevant today. And I think within the remainder of 2019 and 2020, she's going to be very well known. And I'll tell you why. So anyway, Yusra was born in 1998 in Damascus, Syria. Right? 1998. Like, that. Th- this is how old she is. Oh, God. <laughs> no. What is that, 12? How old is that? Is that like 25 (laughs) now? I don't know. She's 21 today. I, oh God, I just had a baby. I know, right? So she comes from a family of swimmers where her and her sister, Sarah, grew up swimming and they were coached by their own father. So Yesra trained in swimming with the support of the Syrian Olympic Committee, and she represented Syria in the 2012 FINA World Swimming Championships. A couple years later, in 2015, the Syrian civil war began, and Yesra's house was hit by a bomb and destroyed, and so was the swimming stadium where she trained. Oh my god. Um, because swimming was like pretty much her whole family's life. Like they just were like a swimming family, you know, like all of them. Um, her parents were like, holy shit, you know, like the two places where we're at 24 seven just got bombed. And like, we somehow weren't in any of those locations when the bombings happened, which is like unheard of. So like they basically somehow like their lives, they're like fate saved their lives that day. And so her family was like, we're not fucking around with this shit. We need to get the hell out of here. Like, people are dying. Bombs are hitting the ground. Like, we're not going to survive. So they decided that they were going to leave. Um, Her parents sent Sir... uh, I almost called... I almost said Syria Bonali. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) Syria, Syria. Yeah. That's so funny. Um... So her parents sent Yesra and her sister Sarah, like, off to leave on their own by themselves, and the parents were going to come, like, meet up later. So the two of them fled Syria alone together. They traveled through Lebanon and Turkey before attempting to reach Greece by boat, and they had 18 other uh, people on the boat that was really only meant to hold six or seven. Which, like, we've heard that in the news so much over the past couple years. Like, Mm -hmm. as those boats were getting to Greece, like, either all of them capsized or, like, miraculously the boat didn't, didn't, you know, sink somehow. Even though it was, like, probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds over capacity. So, they got on the boat and they were like, we're gonna do it. And so they fucking went out to sail. So it's like one of those dinghy boats. They're like kind of like the hard rubber with like air. And so they all set sail on the dinghy. And of course, the dinghy's engine cuts out because there's too many fucking people on it. Mm -hmm. So the boat starts to sink. And Yusra and Sarah, being like swimmers throughout their whole lives, were like, we're going to get the fuck off this boat and um, we're going to help push it. And so them two, along with two other people who, like, aren't really reported in the story. I don't know who they were or how old or men or women. I don't know. But the four of them jumped off the dinghy um, in order to lighten the weight to, like, prevent the sinking. And then they 
pushed the dinghy with their hands while kicking for three and a half hours until they reached the Greek island of Lesbos. When this happened, Yesra was 17 years old and every single person was saved. Wow. Oh, my God. (laughs) I can barely doggy paddle for like five minutes. I, I mean, just to think that... One, you know that water is cold as fuck. Two, mm. you're like out in the middle of the goddamn ocean where, like, who's to say there isn't like great whites ready to snatch you up? Oh, God. Three, you're, I mean, unless you just have the most like f- adrenaline burst due to like it's either swim or die. Right. Like, you would just think that like hypothermia could set in. Like, there's so, like, just being tired, over exhaustion, like, probably lack of like water, super dehydrated. They're probably like ingesting a bunch of salt water too, like on accident, mm. which is even more dehydrating. Um, and just being 17. Like, yeah. all of these things combined, and to think that they, they did it. Yeah. So that's fucking crazy. Like, that's just fucking crazy. Um, And so once they got to Greece, uh, Yasra and her sister traveled across Europe to Germany where they settled in Berlin. And shortly later, they were reunited by their parents. So once they settled in Berlin, Yasra started swimming um, and training again in hopes of qualifying for the next Olympics. So she had attempted to qualify in the 200-meter freestyle swimming event. And then in June 2016, she was, which was like a year later after all of the the boat happened, she was one of 10 athletes that was selected to compete at the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio as part of the first-ever refugee Olympic team. And at the Rio Olympics, she won a 100-meter butterfly heat against four other swimmers. After that, she went on to address world leaders at the UN General Assembly. She met the Pope, and she's been honored with tons of awards. She's also become, like, a massive advocate for other refugees throughout, like, the globe. And she's been, like, sharing her story and, like, tried to become a powerful voice for, like, other people that have been displaced by, like, similar issues in their countries. And in April 2018, which is, like, fuck, like, less than a year ago... Mm -hmm. Uh, She traveled with UNHCR, which is like the United Nations Refugee Agency, to meet refugees in Sicily who had like had a similar journey as their own escaping conflict. And in Sicily, she met African refugees who had like just recently hit Italy. And after meeting them, she was quoted to say, that was heartbreaking. I really had to cry. My story is nothing compared to the people who fled Africa. They crossed the desert and only one in 14 survives. UNHCR is doing such a fantastic job. So, like, it's so insane to think that she can be like, my story is absolutely nothing compared to theirs. Right, yeah. Which, like, if that's true, what the fuck, dude? Yeah, Fuck. Can't even imagine. Yeah. Can't even fucking imagine. I just ate Taco Bell. Like, to think that, like, people are traveling across desert and, like, you know, 14 or dropping, like, flies along the way. Like, I couldn't even fucking... I can't even imagine that. Yeah. So, Yastra's written a book about her life, and it's called Butterfly. And it's being turned into a film that's scheduled to release in 2019. So this year, her movie will be released, which I think mainly will be about her upbringing in Syria, her swimming career, and like her whole story, basically. And since she's kind of been like, I mean, I think really like her actually being a good swimmer and being able to participate in the Olympics is what brought her story to light. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure her story is one of millions of people's story in Syria, Um, but she just happens to have a platform where she kind of stands out and people can, she's kind of like the face of everybody else that's gone through that really. Mm -hmm. And so because people know her due to the Olympics, um, I think that's why she's getting this movie deal. She also got this book deal and she was also named one of people's magazines, 25 women changing the world. And also one of time magazines, 30 most influential teens in 2016, And right now, she's currently training to compete at the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, where 
I'm sure we'll be seeing her there. Cool. And that's her story. She's so young, so there isn't too much to tell. You said she's 21 now? She's 21 right now. Wow. Is the movie, is it going to be like a documentary or like a like a? I don't know. Okay, because I was going to ask if someone who was starring as her in the movie. Yeah, of. I'm not sure. Cool. Um, but yeah, she's going to have a film that like this year and then next year she's going to be in the Olympics. And I'm pretty sure she's probably not going to stop like with her swimming career or like her advocacy with refugees. Um, So she's just fucking crazy. And like to think that somebody could like that this could be somebody's story within four year time span from 17 to 21. Like how I just can't even like one, it's insane that somebody that comes from that world can even be in the Olympics. Like, that's even just remarkable in itself. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that she fucking swam for three and a half hours and saved 20 lives. Like, it, I just can't even fucking believe that. And to have done that at 17 years old and, like, to be where she is today, having already gone to one Olympics, set up to go to another, like, putting her story out there in the world, meeting with other refugees from different countries and, like, trying to, like, you know, connect with them and share stories and provide support. Like, to have done all of this at, by 21, it's just completely mind-blowing. Yeah. And so I really wanted to cover her because it's just, like, these are kind of the women that, like, really their stories need to be told like right they're real this is like the real woman you know right. she's and like so, a legit superhero too like yeah. save 20 plus people's lives as a freaking olympic athlete legit well and just the fact that like she, her home was bombed her training mm-hmm. center was bombed she probably lost lots of people like just mm-hmm. to go through devastation like that and to be where she is today Like, I just can't imagine the type of strength and, like, willpower and, like, mental – just mental strength you have to have to to do all those things. Yeah. Yeah. So that's her. Her name's Yasra Mardini, and um, she's 21 years old and just fucking killing the game. Can I also say I was super excited when you said she was reunited with her parents because when you said they separated, I was like, oh, no, like, are they going to see them again? Uh, I know. I was, whew, I was super, super happy that that happened. Yeah, they reunited. You can't. It's like, come on, like, let her keep her parents. Like, you can't <laughs> like fucking something. lose. You can't lose the parents, too, on top of everything else. Like, you right. just can't. Uh, that's uh, whew, that was a big relief. Um, how did you come to cover her? How did you hear about her? Um, I was doing some Google searching and, um, I was specifically trying to find like women in racial demographics we haven't covered yet. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to just like expand more broadly. Cool. Um, and so I was like looking up just like non-American women that are like changing the world. Cool. Because I think a lot of ours have been American women. Yeah. And so I was kind of thinking about it and just like, I wonder, like, you know, and and they aren't people, like, she's not somebody that's like a historical icon that everybody knows about. And she's not really like popular in the media and everyone's seeing her face. Like, she's doing fucking crazy ass shit. And like, nobody knows who she is, but she's out there. And like, I don't know. I just think she's somebody that's probably going to be huge as she continues to live through life. Like, I don't think they're stopping this this girl. Like, she's just going to keep going and going and going and probably be a big fucking deal. So, oh, and also the reason why she came up is that somebody on a different podcast has done a some type of documentary about her. Okay. Not a documentary. Sorry. But just like a podcast episode. But I didn't have time to listen to it or look into it. So... Somebody else knows about her. Cool. She out there. Cool. Is is her sign obvious? Uh, I would never have guessed it. Okay. Other than the pure irony of it, which probably doesn't make sense. Is she a Virgo? No. The irony of it. Is she a Pisces? Yes. <laughs> okay. 
because she's like a fish. Got it. That is yes. not what I would have. I would not have guessed that though. I would have definitely guessed Capricorn first. She was born on March fifth, nineteen ninety eight. Oh my gosh! So her birthday is like just a couple days ago. Happy birthday! Happy I know birthday. you're listening. We know you're listening to us. Oh yeah, what's today? The seventh. I think so. So yeah. she just turned twenty one. Cool. Because oh. I think I looked into her yesterday. Okay. Pisces. God. Okay. Right? Like Pisces, though. How? I mean, she's a swimmer. There you have it. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> That's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's science, goddammit. I know. Okay. But yeah, I don't know. I'm- I think it's hard to guess because, like, again, she just has this, like, insane story that... It doesn't even matter what your fucking zodiac sign is. It's like it's yeah. really comes down to like strength of human. For like, sure. Are you going to live or not? And like, yeah. it, it you know, unless badass. yeah. I'm so glad Just you covered badass. her. I don't know. Like, I don't know when I would have heard of her. Probably soon with her. With well, her, movie. I know, and I'm so excited to have covered her, and then like we can go watch the movie when it comes out and yeah. like feel more like excited about it because totally. You know, we covered her on our podcast. Yeah. So go Yesra Mardini. Keep fucking being a badass bitch. And uh, high fives to you for all the insane work you've done. And just no words. Like, there's not even any type of word I could say. Like, just you kick ass. And we'll see you in Tokyo. You know, we've covered many Olympians. We've covered at least three Olympians, maybe more. Surya Bonali. Surya Bonali, Ali Raisman. Oh, Ali Raisman. I was trying to think who the third was. Yasra Mardini. Covered, we've covered other athletes like Lauren yeah, Chamberlain, Alicia Napoleon Alicia and Napoleon. and Lauren Chamberlain. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've covered co- a lot of athletes. Yeah, we really have. Interesting, right? Especially I haven't really noticed I just, that. I mean, well, you like do sports. I'm like, I just sit on my goddamn ass, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just live vicariously through these women. Oh cool. My God. Um, mine is gonna be, I think, a little bit longer than I thought it would be. So I think it'll be a good balance. And okay. this woman is from back in the dirt, and I wouldn't be surprised if she's someone who's on your list. And I know for a fact that at least one person mentioned her at PodCon. And I think Walter Bradley mentioned her once in like an Instagram comment, I think. So we'll see. He'll he'll let you know if we're wrong. I today will be covering... <laughs> Walter Bradley. Walter Bradley. <laughs> I'm trying to remember some of his aliases from when he donated to our campaign. Was it one of them, like, Veronica or, like, something super random and female? Oh, I think I know what it is, but yeah. we can't say it we on We can't air give it away. It's a hardcore alias. Yeah, we can't give it away. <laughs> Veronica! <laughs> Veronica Mara. Okay. Uh... So today I'll be covering Walter Bradley. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Welcome to the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Today I will be covering the English scientist Rosalind Franklin, who during her time was well known for her research in coal and in viruses. But now she is more well-known for being completely shafted for her contributions to discovering the structure of DNA, a discovery that for decades was largely credited to Francis Crick, Maurice Wilkins, and fuckboy of the entire universe, James Watson, who me and James Watson going to come to blows by the end of this episode for show. Why does his name sound familiar? Um, because you probably have fuckboy radar and it just went crazy. that's true. Um, I I mean, I mean, he discovered along with some other scientists, the structure of DNA. So you might just know him from, Hmm. from that. Um, I don't know. 
their discovery, quote unquote, I mean, it was like, they don't get me wrong. All three of those men did contribute greatly to the discovery of the structure of DNA. And that discovery was based on lots of data that Rosalind Franklin had collected herself. So there's a lot of controversy surrounding her not getting credit for that discovery. And we'll get into that as we go on. Okay. So Rosalind Franklin was born in 1920 to very wealthy English Jewish parents. She was smart as fuck, an excellent student, and she also was described as being single-minded, a woman who took no prisoners. Basically, Rosalind Franklin was a natural-born badass bitch. Like, she was smart, she was talented, and she wasn't going to hear it from nobody. I actually, so I should say now, I got, basically this entire episode is going to be me regurgitating an episode of PBS Nova called DNA, The Secret of Photo 51, which is a wonderful documentary narrated by Sigourney Weaver, who I also fucking love. Um, But uh, she, they're in that documentary, there are these two women that she went to school with, and they basically were like, Rosalind was the kind of woman when she got involved in activity, she just assumed she'd be in charge. So that's Rosalind Franklin. Okay. So super smart girl. She ends up winning a scholarship to study physics and chemistry at Cambridge in 1938. At Cambridge, she learns a technique called X-ray crystallography, which all you basically need to know is that it reveals the structure of the atomic structure of matter that is too small to be seen under a microscope. So really, 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 really itty-bitty matter. That's the easy way to say it. And that's the technique that will help her to uncover the structure of DNA. Um, But years before that happens, she ends up getting involved in the wartime efforts in World War II. And she does extensive coal research as part of that war effort, which ends up leading to the production of a new kind of gas mask that also served as the foundation of her PhD thesis and made her a little bit famous in the scientific community. Um, She did research that had actual practical implications for the troops. They manufactured a whole bunch of new masks based on it. She was widely published multiple times. And keep in mind, this is a female in the 1940s. So it was Mm -hmm. a pretty big deal. Uh, In 1947, Two years after getting her PhD from Cambridge, she takes a research position in Paris where she perfects her x-ray techniques. She absolutely loves it. Um, She stays there for four years, ends up making a wonderful reputation for herself in the scientific community, whereas all the fashions from Paris was getting all of her motherfucking life, but then decided that she wanted to return to England. She knew that's where she wanted to end up, and so she figured it was time to make the leap and try to get into research universities there. Sadly, this is where things take a sort of annoying turn. So she goes back to England and she ends up taking a position at King's College in an X-ray diffraction unit that's focused on finding the structure of DNA. The director of the lab who offers her the job, and there's like documentation of this, of this offer letter, tells her that she'll be working independently. Like she'll just be an independent scientist and she'll have a research assistant working for her. But as it actually turns out, the director of the lab, there's a deputy director of the lab named Maurice Wilkinson, who's one of the people who's credited for, for discovering the DNA structure. And he was under the impression that she was being hired as his assistant. So she comes in thinking that she's just going to be able to do her own thing. And he's like, oh, hey, what up? Like, do these tasks for me. And she's like, excuse me? I'm like a fucking professional scientist. I'm better at this than you are. And according to him, she told him to, quote, go back to your microscopes. So they didn't really have a great relationship from jump. Some butting of the heads between these two, which is important. It comes back into play later. Obviously, she was an extremely outspoken, fierce woman. A colleague of hers named Erin Klug said of her in the documentary that I watched that she, if she had been a man, it would have been totally unremarked. 
So basically, he was mm-hmm. like, the personality traits that she had are things that if dudes exhibited, nobody would have cared. But because she was a woman in this field that was male-dominated, people were like, oh, she's a bitch. Oh, she's this. She's scary. She's mean. So, but she didn't care. She was having, she was getting her life. In come the fuckboys. So. Boo. Yes, James Watson. And, like, Francis Crick and Maurice Wilkinson are, like, wah-wah, but we James Watson, that's our enemy. So 23-year-old American scientist James Watson hears about Maurice Wilkins, so that's the guy that works with her in the lab that she fights with, hears about his lab and wants to join the lab. Wilkins is like, nah, you ain't that cool. But Watson ends up getting a job down the road at Cambridge doing the same thing, x-ray crystallography, with a man named Francis Crick. While they're cranking it out at Cambridge, Rosalind is busy discovering that there are two forms of DNA, type A and type B, and she takes a picture of type B that very clearly exhibits a helix shape. So for those of us who remember anything about biology in high school, the DNA is a double helix, which like Google it. I don't that, know how like, to explain that. Twisty thing, looks like right? a spiral it's like yeah, a spiral yeah, yeah. staircase uh-huh. is fucking Kinda another like spiral a staircase. Curly noodle. A curly noodle. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but that's exactly what it looks like. Perfect. What so, is it called? Um, like, um, fucking corkscrew. Little yeah, like a corkscrew. Yeah, like a corkscrew noodle. <laughs> Rigatoni? Uh, I feel okay. like it had a special name. Yeah, Google it. <laughs> this is like when we were trying to remember what a flat top was called. <laughs> and we were short, calling short it stack. It is a rigatoni. Oh, wait, no, it's not. A rigatoni is like a tree stump. All right, well, whatever. If you, mimosa sisterhood at gmail.com. Let us know. <laughs> Pasta experts. So basically, she's figuring out the, by doing all of these x ray images, she's figuring out that DNA takes the form of a helix. This is in the shape of a helix. So in 1951, Rosalind gives a seminar talking about this work, describing the helix. Watson is in the room, basically copping all of her shit, taking notes, which is, like, fine. She's sharing it with the scientific community. It's not top secret. But then his ass goes back to Cambridge, and he and Crick build a model, like a physical model, of what they think the structure of DNA looks like, basically just based on what they'd heard other people had done. Like, yeah, they'd done some x-rays, But for the most part, like, compared to Rosalind, they'd only done a little bit of work. Keep in mind, this dude's 23. She's, like, in her early 30s at this point. So she's got several years' experience on him. You know what I mean? So they they basically are just like, cool, we got it. We're just going to make this model. We figured it out. Or we're close. Um, X-ray, and it's, like, important here because this is where, like, this male-female labor thing happens. So... X-ray crystallography back then was, like, tedious as fuck. Like, Rosalind spent thousands and thousands of hours on these experiments. And, like, it's important to remember that because these men basically capitalized on all of that work and did maybe, like, a fraction of the experiments that she did. So they invite Rosalind and Wilkinson to check out their model. So they're like, hey, check it out. And Rosalind basically tears them a new asshole, like in front of everybody. She's like, this is, there's no way this is what the, what it looks like. And she was right. Like, I don't even, I don't know how to describe it, but it just like looks super retarded. And it was kind of funny. And she ripped them a new one so badly that their lab director was completely humiliated and would not let them build any more models. So he let them continue working there doing x-rays, but apparently like she gave them the spanking of a lifetime. And was like, you guys are stupid. (laughs) So she just gets along with everybody. Um, She keeps doing actual experiments instead of just making up models. And during these experiments, she ends up producing the sharpest DNA image to date, which she labels photo 51. This is kind of where it all blows up. So photo 51 ends up in Wilkinson's hands, that, that boss that she hates. Yeah. He, for some fucking reason, takes it and shows it to Watson, even though Watson's working at a competing laboratory. 
Mm-hmm. Don't know what that's about. So Watson has this moment where he's like, damn, this is the missing piece I need. Like, all I needed was to see this photo. There's, like, I know I know what it looks like. I can make a model out of it now. Rosalind, at this point, was about to leave King's College because it was such an unpleasant experience for her to work there. But she does one final lecture. Watson shows up at her final lecture and basically is like, you need to help me. Like, you need to help me, like, model this out. Like, I saw, I saw, I don't even think he told her he saw the photo. Like, we don't know whether or not she knew that he had his hands on that photo. Um, But he later writes a book, which we'll get to later. And in his book, he basically describes this interaction with her as him. He literally says that she was getting so aggressive with him that he was afraid she was going to hit him. Oh, so scared. And he's like twice her size. Oh, baby. It's going to be okay. Fucking loser. So he basically, like, shows up. Is like, you need to, like, do this discovery work for me. She's like, fuck you, no. Go eat a dick. And he's like, don't hit me. (laughs) That is James fucking Watson. Oh, my. That's the definition of baby back bitch. (laughs) Baby back bitch. And that is just the tip of the baby back iceberg when it comes to James Watson. So... Now that he's got that photo, he's basically got enough data to convince his boss at Cambridge to let him do another model. So his boss is like, all right, fine. You guys can have one more crack at it. Don't fuck it up. So in 1953, Watson and Crick using – and, like, I dumbed this down. There's a lot of other data that other scientists contributed, but we could just go on and on and on with this. So it's not like Rosalind's data was the only data that they kind of were using, but it was a huge, huge component of it. Uh, So they model it based on that and some other data. She comes to review the model, not totally understanding how much of it is based on her work. Like, she doesn't understand how much of her work they have access to, basically. And she actually approves it this time. She's like, yeah, actually, that looks right. Like, that makes sense based on all the experiments I've done. So then they go to get their findings published, right? It's like the big moment. And they relied on data of hers that hadn't been published, which, like, you kind of can't do in the scientific community if you're about to publish some huge finding you have to be basing your background research on established findings so essentially what that meant is that her work needed to be published before they could publish theirs so they ended up doing this deal with uh, nature which to this day is a huge scientific publication in one issue they published three different articles they publish her article, they publish an article by Wilkinson, and then they do the Fran- uh, the Crick and Watson article. So basically, like, they push it all through so that they can cite her research and say that it's, like, already been published, which is, and that's a little bit confusing. But basically, they were, like, not bending the rules, but they were maybe cutting some corners trying to get this thing published. Hmm. And in, um, in the Watson and Crick publication where they talk about the double helix they literally this is a quote we have been um excuse me we have been stimulated by a general knowledge of her work like that was their line to credit her um bro you were literally working off an x-ray she did that's not general knowledge of her work that's literally like a precise product of her research but like that was the shout out that she got um, the the article that got published that was by her, she wrote before. So she wrote her article before they wrote theirs. Mm-hmm. And someone had inserted into her article by hand before publication that, quote, thus our general ideas are consistent with the model proposed by Crick and Watson. Um, yeah, of course it's consistent with their model because their model is based on your fucking research. But someone like added that in, in the editing process to basically make it look like, yeah, to kind of make it look like she didn't have that big of a hand in it. So just like a lot of like nasty, nasty bullshit. But it seems like she wasn't aware in her lifetime that that had happened to the extent that it had. Like, I don't think she ever really knew how much of her work Wilkinson was sharing with Watson and Crick. Mm -hmm. So either or maybe she knew and just did not give a single fuck. I don't know. We don't know. But um, 
Anyway, she ends up leaving King's College. Uh, she goes to a place called Birkbeck College. And at Birkbeck College, she ends up working on a, a big piece of research that she becomes very well known for, where she works out the structure of viruses and basically locates what their infectious element is. And in fact, her colleague, Erin Klug, wins a Nobel Prize for this work after she passes away. So is like, had she, yeah, so had she, we like him though, like he was cool. He like he's in the documentary and he actually was like a cool dude. Um, but had to basically like had she lived, she probably would have gotten that Nobel Prize. And that's not even for the DNA stuff. That's like mm-hmm. for totally separate research. So she ends up actually getting a ton of attention for this research. And she goes to North America and does like an academic tour at all these universities to discuss her virus research. And she starts having abdominal pain on this trip Uh-oh. in North America. She's 36. And when she returns to England, she's diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Oh. Um, we don't know for sure, but there is some speculation that all of her work in x-rays might have had some contribution oh, to that. Oh, shit. Right. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that why whenever you get an x-ray, they ask, are you pregnant? Yeah, and when you go to the dentist, they put that giant fucking lead vest yeah. on you. Yeah. Because, like, mm-hmm. if you were pregnant, it would, like, nuke the fuck out of your baby. <laughs> Is that what that means? Um, Maybe. I think it could, do, like, turn it into a mutant baby, which might be oh, kind of cool. Oh, my God. Because I just had those x-rays, like, a week ago, and they were like, Is there any chance that you're pregnant? I'm like, no. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I'm not pregnant. I, like, just had my period yesterday. Like, we're good. Maybe the baby explodes. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy, though. That's Um, really fucking crazy. So she sadly passes away on April 16th, 1958, at the age of 37. Which, like, you know what? What? You know who who else had this fucking story? Ada Lovelace died of ovarian cancer at 36. Is that weird? What? Another English both scientist. These, like, yes. Yeah, both these like genius scientists. Like, yeah. You think it's like a like in their line of work that like something's happening? I don't know. Well, with Ada, she wasn't doing x-ray stuff. I think that was maybe just bad luck. But with this, I don't know, dude. Like, I don't think they knew. I mean, they did. They were taking precautions. They did mention in the documentary that people had to do, like, you couldn't just work continuously in the lab. You had to take like certain breaks and if you worked in there for too long, they'd make you, like, stay out of it for several weeks. So they knew to some extent that they had to take precautions, but I don't know if they fully understood it. You mm. know, they probably weren't as cautious as they would be now. So who So who knows? It could have just been – it might have happened to her anyway. We'll never know. And – you know, as I said, she either died not knowing just how much her work contributed to Watson and Crick's work, or she just didn't give a shit and never talked about it. Uh, in 1961, Wilkins, her boss who gave them the photo, Watson and Crick win the Nobel Prize for discovering the structure of DNA. Uh, and here is where shit gets... Real, real, real fuckboy. I think I've said three times in this episode, here's where shit gets real. Watson, in 1968, publishes a book called The Double Helix, where he talks about, from his perspective, the account of this entire thing. In it, he paints Rosalind as a villain, a meanie, and a scientist. (laughs) A A scientist. I mean, that was my own word choice, but that's basically what it is. She's like, she was mean. She was going to hit me. Like, shut up. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, And and as a scientist hoarding her data, who won't share her data with anyone, he refers to her as Rosie, which was a derogatory nickname that people called her behind her back at the lab. And keep in mind, this woman is dead when he writes this book. Like, so respectful, bro. You're so cool. He also brags about using her work without her permission. He's, like, absolute fucking trash. In the book he brags? Yes. Or, like, in real life? Like, in the book that he wrote about this. Like, absolutely no shame. 
It was supposed to be published under the Harvard University Press, but Harvard made a deal that he had to send the manuscript to all the main players. So he had to send the manuscript to Watson or to Crick and to Wilkinson and some other people, and they had to approve it before they would publish it, and they didn't approve it. They were like, even though, like, I, I don't know anything about Crick, Wilkinson wasn't necessarily BFFs with her, but he was like, bro, you can't publish this shit. Like, you're totally painting an inaccurate portrait of how things went. And you're totally, like, you're not giving her enough credit, and you're, like, basically slandering and libeling her. And so Harvard University Press wouldn't publish the book because they wouldn't sign off on it. So it, it, it's it's important to note that even though Watson was a douche, like, and even though Wilkinson was kind of an asshole, too, Wilkinson at least had the dignity to be like, dude, don't disrespect her like that. That's not yeah. how things were. And we don't know anything about Crick. I don't know what he was doing. He was long for the ride, I guess. Um so Harvard University refuses to publish it, but then he just takes it to, like, a public publisher and gets it published anyway. Um, and as I said, you know, there's it's kind of controversial. People say – some people say had she been alive and knew more about how much her work contributed to their findings that she'd get the Nobel Peace – or the Nobel Peace Prize, the Nobel Prize. Some people say, no, she didn't have enough hand in it. She wouldn't have gotten it anyway. Like, no, you know, who knows? But it does seem pretty likely that for her work in virus research, she definitely would have won a Nobel Prize with her partner had she been alive for it. And um, I also found out doing research for this that the Nobel Prize is never awarded posthumously. If you're dead, you can't get a Nobel. Which I'm like, that's kind of mm. shitty. Even yeah. like, even like Heath Ledger got a fucking Oscar after he died. Like you should, if you contributed to something that hardcore, you should be able to yeah, grab like what that does it prize. Matter? Yeah. You know, like imagine if you were someone's kid or something and, you know, like that would matter to me that my parent be honored for their research or whatever. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, But yes, she is now, you know, nowadays people know a little bit more about the story and she's gotten more of her just due. She also has, as I said, she was well known for her research in other areas. So it's not like she was in obscurity. People knew who she was. Um, And there's multiple awards, scholarships, laboratories, and university, like, colleges and departments named after her. So she's gotten a lot of recognition. Um, And and James Watson's a little baby back bitch. And that's the story of Rosalind Franklin. Is she African-American? Oh, no, she's white. She's a white lady? White English Jew. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I thought she was black. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. That's, I think WB did um, give her uh, as a recommendation to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he did. So, a couple things real quick before we guess sign. I, as I said, I left a lot out for the sake of simplicity. There were other ways in which they kind of copped her research, but like it would have required me explaining way too much science. And I was like, I don't even understand what you guys are saying. So I don't know how I'm going to explain it to anyone else, but there's, there's a little bit more to the story. Um, and there were some other players as well, but, uh, I also just wanted to say that I really love the way people talked about her attitude. Like, hmm. she, I have a feeling had I met her, I would have thought she was a biznatch, but, like, I would have respected her biznatchness. She yeah. sounded like a woman who just was like, she, I, she's like, I know what I'm doing, I'm great at what I do, I'm fucking smart as hell, don't, don't test me, which I love. So does that mean that she's a Virgo? She is not a Virgo, but that would have been one of my first guesses. Is she a Taurus? That would have been my second guess, or my first <laughs> guess, but she's not a Taurus. And she's not a Virgo. And she's not a, Those were my top two guesses. They seem most relevant for that personality type. I know. Well, but also, like, she's fiery. I know. My next guess was going to be... Um, Probably a Sagittarius. Not a Sag. Is she an Aries? She's a Leo. A Leo? I so uh-huh. don't see Leo. 
I mean, I it wouldn't have been my first guess for sure. Leo's, She's fiery though. Like never ha- like never have confrontation with people because they are just obsessed with being loved at all times. Well, but they also know they're the best, which is I feel like she had that attitude. But I feel like they show it, they don't say it. Word. Word. I would have like for sure my my top would have been Taurus for sure. But Virgo, just because she was such an intellectual and she was so precise and her work was so tedious and, like, detail-oriented. So, but she's a Leo, uh, July 25th, 1920. Well, also, Virgos always think they're right because they are. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Lied the Gemini. Um, But you know my ass also had to look up James Watson sign. Oh, God. Do you want to fucking guess that one? James Watson. Fuckboy of the world. Um, was he an Aries? Yes. <laughs> Dude, I nailed that. <laughs> you fucking killed it. I fucking killed that one. Why did you guess? Aries. Um, only because I've worked with several Aries, mm-hmm. and this was like a worker's dynamic where, like, mm-hmm. I've had, like, as I've mentioned before, a boss that was an Aries, and she literally would, like, do the most corrupt, immoral things as long as it meant that she still succeeded at the end. Mm-hmm. And that's just literally what he did. Yeah. Yeah. I also think Aries, sorry guys, sorry Aries listeners, Aries have a tendency to ride people's coattails. So that made perfect sense to me too. Well, because I think that like they, like, like, like if you read any type of Zodiac astrology info, they always say there's like the good parts of the signs and the bad parts of the signs. We all have them. Speaking about Aries on the bad part of the sign, I feel like... Like, you know how, like, okay, like, almost compare him to a Capricorn, where Capricorn will dedicate its entire life to succeeding, but it will never cut corners or cheat to get there. Mm-hmm. Aries will cut every fucking corner and cheat yep. every goddamn person to get there. 100%. <laughs> It's also super Aries to try to, like, manipulate someone into doing it for you. And that's why that story where he was like, I was afraid she was going to hit me. And, like, basically, you wanted her to do the work for you. She said no. And then you made up this entire story about how she was a villain. And I feel like that's super Aries. Super bad side of Aries. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's funny. I'm fucking dying that I got that first guess. I love that. Yeah, April 6th. Um, <laughs> he is still alive. He's, like, in his oh, 90s. God. Let's send him some hate mail. Yeah, I think he's in Chicago is what I read. I don't know. I know. I wanted to, like, I'm going to mail him a tampon. I'm like, fuck you, asshole. <laughs> Analyze this DNA. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> on point <laughs> dang that that cut deep <laughs> good yeah so that was she but i loved you guys should check out that documentary or not since i literally just told you the whole thing but she um i liked hearing about her paris years like she was the people also talked about the fact that she was an avid hiker and some of her friends from her paris years were just like she just loved life like she really she loved her work she it doesn't sound like she ever got married she definitely never had kids like she was just living her life like to the fullest um and another thing just kind of as an add-on her dad didn't want her to be a scientist and was like really upset that she went to school to do that and he wanted her to just work in philanthropy and be like a little cute debutante who helped raise money for poor people and she was like i'm gonna go like help save the world so Um, And I guess it was to the point where I read this online that he withdrew some, like, he helped support her a little bit through college, and he withdrew some money, and an aunt had to step in because he didn't want her to, yeah. So, like, cock-blocking men all over the place in this story. 
so yeah, I think yeah, I don't know that James Watson's a fuckboy so much. He's a baby back bitch, but he's like the he's like the king baby back bitch. It's like top <laughs> top of the heat. That was a good story. She she is on my list, um, mm-hmm. but I feel like you're you're better off telling science stories than me. I like DNA shit. Uh, oh my god! Well, it's uh, like our shortest episode ever. I feel like I know it'll be like an hour. People yeah. might listen to it. I didn't even check the stats for the last episode. Me either. It's probably millions. Guess. <laughs> Several million. Millions and millions. Oh well. Um, hit us as, up. I don't know. Yeah, hit us up. As we mentioned last time, we have a Twitter. Our handles at Mimosa Hood. Um, we have Instagram. We have an email account. We have a website. We have all kinds of stuff, and you should go look at them. Someone please send us an email. Every <laughs> every few days, I check that email. I'm like, no one, no one wants to even say hi. <laughs> Mimosa Sisterhood at gmail.com. <sighs> send me your uh, if you have any plant raising tips. Send me tips on how to raise plants. Yes. Um. Pictures of bunnies. Also, but... we're expecting hand-drawn fan mail, like, at any point in time. Yeah, if you like our show and you're artistic, please immediately start drawing pictures of us and send them to us. Do they even know what we look like? Um, You'd have to kind of dig into the Instagram. You yeah, guys can you do it. So, you okay, so, yeah, you guys dig into the Instagram, then make fan art for free and then send it to us yay this is a great idea thanks so much guys we're thanks. really looking forward to it but we're a little nervous you're gonna like overburden our inbox but anyway all right i feel like there's more to be said i don't know why i feel like there's i think it's well, just like one of those episodes where the last one we covered so much territory well normally we do a woman of the week mm-hmm and I kind of do have a woman of the week. Oh my god! But it has to remain anonymous because it's a secret. Okay. And so basically, a good friend of mine has has had a passion for writing like her whole life, mm-hmm. but she hasn't really like taken any steps to pursue it, or really even, I guess, more not pursue it, publish it. You know, like, somebody could have all kinds of writing sitting in the drawer of their dresser at their house, Mm -hmm. but, like, actually putting it out into the world is a way larger element to, like, your creativity and talents. It it can be hard to do, and I think that's something that she's been struggling with for a long, long, long time, and I, the other night, stumbled upon an anonymous Instagram page that I know is hers, but I haven't asked or confirmed or told her where anonymous writings are being uploaded. <gasps> I love that it's anonymous. And I 100% know that it's hers. And I'm not going to tell her because I think she'd appreciate it remaining anonymous and like not having friends and family know until yeah. she's ready to tell them. Yeah. And I don't want to just be like, bitch, I found your page. Like, it's about time, you know? Yeah. But I do know it's out there, and I do know she finally made that step. And I do know that she still wants it to remain anonymous until she's ready to tell people, hey, come look at this page. Here's my stuff. But I'm very proud of her, and I think it's really exciting. And I don't know. I just love when I see you know, other people that I care about make major steps in their lives to, like, speak their truth and to, like, express Mm -hmm. their passions. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that that can be really hard for people, Mm -hmm. which, like, you and I don't have that problem. (laughs) Oh, I know. I totally have that problem. I don't think so. I feel like there's, like, kinds of shit into the world. I, but, like, I always am, like, I wish I'd put more writing out. Like, I'm not putting out nearly as much as I wish I did because I'm, I think I'm still working through some of that stuff, so I totally get it. Yeah. I'm, like, half halfway there. Well, 
<coughs> she just put her little big toe into the water. That's awesome. And I think that's very exciting, and I can't wait to see what's to come and watch her just, like, flourish and grow and, like, get more confident and feel, you know, proud about what she's putting out there to the point that she can really, like, start actually sharing it, like, for real, for real. Mm -hmm. So that's my Woman of the Week. Um, Props to you, Miss Anonymous Writer. Woo! I, I love, I super respect that it's anonymous, too. That she's just, like, you know, she's just, like, doing it. She's just, like, doing it for herself. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I love that. Like, I really respect that. All right, anonymous girl. Hey, well, I guess I have a woman of the week who also has to be anonymous um, because of the situation. But I did a um, a reading. I, w- I don't normally give, that's why it has to be anonymous, too, information on readings. But I did a reading for a friend recently and she is debating between two – working on two different presidential campaigns. So she got an offer from one – I can't name who, but, like, one extremely well-known presidential candidate. It's not Donald Trump. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. This is this is not that. Um, and, and was also debating working for another one. And I was like, Dad, like we were talking about it. You could just see her face lighting up. She's been working in politics and campaigns for like 10 years, something like that. And I'm like, wow, like that's like big, that is big time. Like working on being asked, like she was approached, she didn't even apply. She was approached to work on this campaign. So it's like being asked to, to be on the national campaign like that. Like that's next level shit. So yeah, can't name her name, but. Big shout out to her and just all the people out there making moves. All the ladies making, making moves. Making money moves. Yes. Yes. That's it. Right. Well, my plants my plants wish you all a good night. And my belly full of Taco Bell wishes you all a good night too. Your Taco Bell baby. <laughs> all right. Until next week. Bye. Sayonara.